Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of This Feral Life, a podcast about homing, homesteading, farming, gardening, and just trying to make sure that, you're, that you have the supplies you need to deal with times if they get rough, or even if they don't, and just improve your life around, all around. Today, uh, we're going to pick up where we left off uh, last episode. Last episode, we talked about mammals on the homestead, and this one, we are going to talk about birds. We were going to squish all the animals into one podcast, but that would have been an absolute horrific mess. That would have been just... Nobody, yeah, nobody wants to listen to us ramble for eight hours. So you're going to listen to us ramble for eight hours, spread out over multiple podcasts. Uh, I think next one we're going to talk about fish and like aquaculture. So that'll be a fun one if anybody's interested in that. Uh, today, however, we... Uh, one thing I wanted to bring up real quick before I dive right into this, uh, to the birds, is something that I was reading about earlier that just bothered the crap out of me. And it was something that I thought that I'd bring to attention to everybody. Is that if you have the opportunity to go ahead and uh, uh, store some wheat and some flour, uh, I hear people talk all the time about storing hard red winter wheat and then grinding it for your own flour. Sure, that's fun. If you have the very expensive grinder to make it work. If you don't, just buy bulk flour and store it. As long as you store it in an airtight container like large jars or in mylar bags and buckets, it's going to last more, longer than you're going to want it. You're going to use it long before it goes back. It lasts a couple years. And so you're perfectly fine with storing it that way. You'll be over this hump with what's going on with, with the wheat Long before and wheat prices will stabilize, long before you your wheat that you store and goes bad or your flour store goes bad, you're gonna use it up anyway. By the time you're done listening to us to talk, you're gonna be wanting to you know, bake your own bread and do all sorts of fun, interesting, exciting things with that. So what's bothering me today right now, I'll follow the commodity crops pretty closely. And uh, as it says, Kansas farmers are abandoning wheat fields after extreme drought. Now this is year two and a half. I think we're 30 or 30-ish months into what has just been an absolute nightmare for farmers in Kansas. There's either been way too much rain and weird late cold freezes or absolutely no rain at all. Uh, their crops haven't came up at all in places. They're, they're like 33% of their crops are basically trash. Um so I'm just going to quickly read a little bit of this to you. It says, Farmers of Kansas, the biggest uh, U.S. producer of wheat used to make bread are abandoning their crops after severe drought and damaging cold ravages fields. They're intentionally spraying wheat fields with crop-killing chemicals and planting insurance payouts more than normal. Betting the grain is not worth harvesting. We're just found on a three-day tour of the state. Other growers are turning over dismal fields, uh, look um, – looking fields to cattle. So uh, right now with the, with the shortage in cattle feed, they're just finding that if you're looking at the field pictures that we've been looking at, like online, most of the wheat that's coming up, it's not even ankle high. It's coming up a little bit, almost immediately going to head. It's not high enough to do anything with. The heads aren't filled out. It, it, they might as well be using it for cattle feed. Uh, the cows and sheep and stuff, they'll nip it down to the ground. Um so the wheat supply, uh, Kansas is uh, the U.S. wheat supply is number five in the world wheat explorer, with stocks seen falling to a 16-year low. Uh, high rates of abandonments deal with economic blow to farms, towns, and the forced wheat buyers to just pro 
procurement plans by buying the staple grain elsewhere. Nationally, winter, winter wheat farms plan on abandoning 33% of the acres they planted, the highest percentage since World War I. The U.S. Department of Agriculture said in May uh, 12th report, and the reason that back in World War I they had to abandon was the, sh- the fuel shortages. We were shipping everything overseas to fight the war. Um, so, yeah, they're looking at overall at least um, as bad as 1989 when farmers didn't harvest 28% of the wheat they, they, uh, they harvested. But these guys are saying that there was uh, – it's, it's a lot worse than what's being reported. And that just tells me this is going to be a bad day. We're not going to get anything from the Ukraine because the Russia thing going on, right? So you're not going to get any wheat coming from there. Uh, China signed the unilateral deals with with uh, everybody and paid off, what is it, $580 trillion in yuan to uh, pay off all of their debts that they, that, that they owed a whole bunch of little countries so that they could consolidate and make everybody buy everything from them in yuan. So we're not able to do direct dealings with China anymore, so we can't buy wheat from China. Um, And they're dealing with a whole bunch of crop failures. So overall, this is just a real bad storm, which probably would... uh, It's like a trifecta. Yeah, it's just a real bad bad storm from a bunch of different ways, whether it's economical, war, or weather-wise. It's time to store some food. Don't store wheat and flour if you don't cook with wheat and flour. You're not going to probably, it's not going to get to the point, I imagine, with the wheat and flour to where you need to trade your neighbor, like, you know, uh, a pound of wheat for a gallon of gas, right? It's not going to get there. We're, we're not, we're not, we're not doing, we're not trading wheat like cocaine. So uh, it's just, uh, if you are interested in having bread for Thanksgiving, you might want to learn to cook that bread. Uh, and uh, you might want to store some um, stone flour. Alternatively, I mean, there's corn flour. There's a whole bunch of different flour, almond flour, other stuff. But most of those recipes require you to use a little bit of flour flour, like wheat flour, in order to make it work. So uh, on that, let's just hop right into – I just wanted to share that real quick before I got sidetracked and totally forgot about it. But definitely store some. You can listen to our food storage episode. Which one was that? Was that two? Two or three. Two or three. There's one of those ones where we're talking about uh, storing some food. Uh, put it in a Mylar bag, slam it into a five-gallon bucket with a tight lid, and uh, rock and roll. Throw an oxygen absorber or two on top of it. Yep. And, you and free. Yeah. And you're good to go. Like, uh, I like uh, round buckets for storing grains in. Uh, not because, like, um, I don't like square buckets. Square buckets stack easier. But square buckets give that edge for rodents to chew on. Whereas a round bucket, they can't get their stinky little teeth around it. You know, they don't have a sharp edge to get a hold of. Uh, I've had them chew through square buckets. haven't had them chew through a round bucket. I've had them scrape at it where it looks like they chewed. They were trying to, but they just couldn't get a hold of it. Good. All right. Uh, so... As far as uh, chicken news around the homestead here, what uh, what happened just the other day? Oh, uh, yeah. So our daughter um, rescued a chicken, named him George, came very attached with this little chick, and uh, was her little friend, you know, followed her everywhere, like just didn't mind being mauled by, by our daughter every day. Had no idea it was um, a chicken. Yeah, she, he had no idea he was a chicken. 
our daughter would wake up every morning and wouldn't bother saying good morning to us, but would race out to try to look to see if George was okay and, and how George was doing. Um, and unfortunately, George succumbed to his demise. Um, and it was very unfortunate a possum got to George. Dang, possum um, pulled him through the cage. That yeah, was insane. So that was just crazy. reached in there and yanked him through the bars of the cage. Yeah, which was traumatic as heck. I mean, uh, look, I went out there. I get up early, and I went out and I noticed, and I was like, eee. so I'm like, I'm gonna chuck all the little bodies over the fence. So you know, they're hidden in the tall grass out there, you know. But uh, it was just like, uh, how do we break it to her? Yeah, like what happened? I mean, like you know, guys don't get it. Like this is what a four-year-old when she's like, George is my best friend, and she's carrying George around her music box, and the chicken's just like, this is my life now. I'm cool with this. This is great. You know, this is a cool chicken. It was as far as as far as chickens go. He was. He had a place in my heart. And I was, yeah, I was very sad to hear the news. Yeah, so we have armored the chicken coop. I thought it was pre-armored anyway because it was made out of the same material that like bird cages are, you know, like the wire, like the slats, and they're really close together, but I guess not close enough. Uh, they're a little bit over a half inch apart, but uh, you know, they're, they're, there's probably eight inches tall the slats are, so it's enough that he could put his hand there and deform the the, the wires enough to. To reach through, grab something, and pull it back through. So we've learned our we've learned our lesson, and now we've just gone back to our regular old standard hardwire cloth on everything. The half inch hardwire cloth, nothing can get through it. Never even had a coyote. I've had wild dogs come up and try to get through it. You know, nothing's getting through half inch hardwire cloth. Humans can't get through half inch hardwire cloth without uh, clippers. It's just not happening. And this is the first time we've had this type of coop. Um, we normally, you know, uh, my husband builds our coops. Uh, and they're very complex, but they're very nice and showy. Because, uh, we again, we have people come visit the farm and pick their eggs and all kinds of stuff, right? We're just very all about the community. So we, we like to have the aesthetics look very nice on our farm. Um, but this was a good alternative for a backyard. You know, right now we're in the middle of transitioning to our, our property that we're purchasing um, so it was a good alternative to have in our backyard in the burbs. And, um, you know, just didn't think twice about the, the hard the cloth, you know, water yeah. because, I mean, we're in the burbs, you know, I don't know. And in my mind, I wasn't really I'm concerned about predators. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I was I was really pretty surprised yeah. that we had as big of a raccoon problem, or not as big it's as awesome. a possum problem as yeah. we do. Uh, I mean, it, it's, it was just a coop I found on Amazon. Uh, it was just like eight foot long, four foot wide, like four, like three foot tall. I figured, ah, we'll put the baby chickens in there. I'll throw in um, some little roost box, a bunch of roost and uh, a tarp over the top of it. And then put like the drinkers and feeders and stuff in there and call it a day. And uh, it, it'll be great for them. Uh, turns out uh, they're stupid and they like to sleep up against the wire and just taunt the predators. They're like, hey, look at us little chicken nuggets. So, uh, no, yeah. don't call George chicken nuggets. <laughs> That's terrible. So we we've, we've uh, we just we spent the afternoon just hardwire clothing the entire thing and turning it into the the, the bird version of Alcatraz. Chicken forts. Yeah, <laughs> nothing's getting in. Nothing's getting out. Uh, yeah, it's, I'm much happier with that, with it now. But when it's done, we're going to be using it to uh, actually raise our quail in. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, so let's get into birds. So let's 
That was a, about, look at that. That was a transition. Yeah, right? That one, right? Good segue. Segue. Okay. We need a segue noise. <laughs> I need like a like a clapper or something. I don't yeah, know. we need like a little button, like yeah. a little board where we can push buttons. Yes. So before we get off on tangents, we have like the goat noise. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, anyway, we'll, we're, we'll get to that. We'll get a soundboard. Um, so quail. We're going to start with like basically small critters and then go all the way to the large, large critters and for the usages. And then we're going to do a couple of like one bonus animal that I, one bonus bird that I think is worth raising on the farm uh, or in the homestead just for the money side of it. <laughs> right. Uh, so we're going to start with quail. Uh, Cretonix quail, particularly the Texas A&M variety, the white guys. Bob White. No, Bob Whites are totally different things. Oh, sorry. Well, those are yeah. my favorite. You know, you just like wild Bob Whites and yeah. the blue scale and stuff that grows wild around here. Yeah. It's one of her favorite things that run around and murder, murder quail. That's uh, that's my favorite hunt. Yeah, that's it's that's that's kind of how uh, it was our first date, right? Is I took yeah, you out there. Yeah, let's just cover that while we're at it. So, just give you guys a little insight. So when I met my husband in our first date, he thought it'd be a great idea for me to hunt my dinner. Well, you were a city girl, and I was country. Um, I've never gone hunting, and I sure as heck have never processed quail. And then here I am. I'm like feral as heck, right? I've got a beard down in my like, like belly. I got long hair down in my butt. I just I run around and and overalls, boots, and like t-shirts. He did, and that was that. My old domesticated him and my old truck. You know that was that was my life, and I, I worked a, a very large ranch and farm, and uh, I just completely, totally wild as heck, <laughs> living out there with dogs and whatnot. And then this uh, this lady finds me on Farmers Only, <laughs> and, uh, which I may or may not have been under the influence of alcohol when I created my like little. What do you yeah, profile? He was a lot of fun to talk to. So I gave it a go and I went to go visit the ranch that he was working on. And I was a little nervous. You know, of course, very nervous. Well, I had to talk because it was in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. I like the nearest, coordinates. the nearest neighbor was like 17 miles. Yeah. So big time nervous. Um, we convinced her I wasn't a serial killer. <laughs> we did a lot of video chat and stuff. Guys, be safe, you know. Uh, but we did a lot of video chat and got to know each other really well. Took a chance, went out there and had the time of my life. And he just... You know, showed me a whole new world. So I <laughs> hunted my my quail, and I was so into hunting that day that I I hunted for several hours. And I I mean I caught we caught quite a bit of quail. You know, we stored quite, some. You know, processed them, stored them, um, made dinner. Well, I was know, like, with the other one. I was like, I tried to tell you, I was like, I don't know if you're gonna really like my lifestyle, and like you know, I was like, so I was like, oh well, you know. I'll bring this city girl out here and I'll run her through the paces. And like, um, uh, we're going to, it was opening day of quail season and opening yeah. day of deer season. And so I was like, we're going to go out there. We're going to catch our food. We're going to, we're going to hunt food. We're going to catch fish. We're just, we're just going to live wild as heck. Just do what I do. And uh, she never really shot a gun. Huh? No, I've no. never shot a gun at all. It was my first time and it was shotgun. I took you to the range. Um, we, we still, it was gauge, so yeah. I had a kick. Um, so I ended up with a big bruise on my arm because I enjoyed it so much that I was just off hunting and no one could stop me. And, um, yeah, I would literally run off and jump off the truck and run, you know, and hit the hills and, and chase quail. Um, so it was a lot of fun. And so we got to, uh, process our dinner that night and it was the best thing I'd ever eaten. 
So that's when I fell in love with quail and my husband, you know, that's when I knew like, this is special. This is different. Well, when I see her like jump off the side of it, like I'm trying to stop the truck, right? Cause we see we're driving around these, these roads and I've got my dog and she likes to go out there and chase the quail and she'll get them up for you, but she's getting old. Well, she was already hitting old back then. Now she's aging. But, uh, and I was like stopping the truck and she's already jumped out the moving truck and takes off across the desert. I told her, you're not going to catch the blue scale quail and these Bob whites on foot. They run like 12, 13 miles an hour, just like straight through the brush and cactus and everything. Didn't stop her. Takes off jumping, running across the, the, the desert, just, just firing away and shooting quails and having a great time. And, I, and then I'm looking like dream weaver. That's what he knew. I was the one. I was like, all right. I see it. Uh, this got this got promised. Got promised. And then uh, took it back, and we deep, I deep fried the quail, and I made a whole bunch of little sides and stuff. And then we had champagne in the garden, and I kind of. Oh, it. it was very bougie. Don't don't get it twisted, guys. Just because he wore overalls and and whatnot, but it was very bougie. It was probably the bougiest garden I've ever experienced and seen in my life. It was something straight out of a, a Robert Frost poem. I never thought that anything like that could exist in West Texas of all places. I never thought you could grow as well as you can in West Texas. And my husband's just very skilled and, and knowledgeable and he's just very good at growing food. And so he can literally grow anything. So I'm like, if he can grow anything in West Texas, now that we're moving South Texas and, and the climate is, is more in our favor, we're going to get to grow um, oranges, oranges, citruses, you know, um, different types of tropical variety, you know, more tropical variety anyway. Um, I'm really looking forward to the abundance that we're going to get out of our garden. I'm here pretty soon. So, so quail, totally yeah, different sorry. type of critter than, the, than, than than those kind of quails you yeah. go out and murder. So these are the Texas A&M quail. They are the, the, you remember when we bought all those little tiny quails? Yeah. And they just got like loose to the yeah. house. I don't want to talk those. about that. <laughs> that was a very bad experience. First experience. So who uh, knew quails could fly at like six who days knew old? They could jump like little Mexican jumping beans and jump everywhere. But that's not racist because she's Mexican. Yeah. I'm Hispanic, so I get to say things like that. But um, <laughs> it, it, what true story. So we had no idea. You know, it was our first experience growing quail. Much like chickens, we thought, okay, you grow them. You start them with warmers. To be fair, it wasn't my first. A, I just had never bucket. tried to grow them in a tub. Right. I'd so always start them in, in like, like aquarium. A, in a sub bucket thing. And uh, we put the warmers on, you know, all good, right? Uh, they jump and like so day six one day, these little tiny jelly beans and i just see are them, all you know, out of the cage yeah. and there was like 50 of them. them it was a bad, oh, bad my day i was so sad i was so mad i was going around looking for all these quails you gotta make sure trips. you have a good yeah good time and when quail get lost they give us oh yeah like a two-tone little like i'm lost find me call and uh so we're just like sitting there being super silent and listening for the, and then you'd go and race and then open the closet because like you don't understand how small baby quail are. They can run through half inch uh, hardware cloth, like it's not even there. Like they're just water. They just run right through it. So when we had this uh, this this big uh, was it just a big plastic tote, right? Mm -hmm. There's a big plastic tote. Uh, I mean, they have like you know twenty four inch sides. I'm like. There's no way this little half-inch tall chicken is going to be able to get out of this two-foot tall because regular chickens can't do it. The six-day-old quail is not going to be able to do it. <laughs> yes. 
Yes, they can. Those little little guys can jump like like maybe four feet, five feet in the air at like six, seven days old. So uh, they got out and they got underneath every door in every cabinet and every pair of shoes. Like, oh my lord! I think we ended up yeah, getting like thirty-eight or forty of them back. Yeah, <laughs> and then the dog ate some. And yeah. some of them probably crawled up and, somewhere and died. And that is the time that Eric or was no allowed, not allowed to grow or have quail in the house. In the house. Yeah. Any type of bird in the house, really. Yeah. Chickens I'll deal with because they get to a certain size or a certain point and then we put them out. And so we know the process for that. But that was our first experience with quail, at so least mine anyway. If so. you're going to do quail, I, I've never done them like that. Uh, I, when I've done quail before, I, I took like a tote, but I, I cut out the top of the... Uh, the um the lid and replaced it with hardwire cloth and just zip tied it in in that in and then set the light directly on top of the wire right on one side and so there was just like an enclosed tote but I did that because I had rat terriers who wanted to eat the little baby quail not because I was trying to keep the quail in it just never I'd never startled them enough at that point to have them pop up and like try to fly through the cake so I was under the impression that they couldn't. Quail can, and they will, and they'll be gone. Mm-hmm. And you'll never find them. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, so quail is super easy to go. They go from egg to table, from hatched, like day one hatched to table in six weeks. Um, that's one of the reasons that I love the Texas A&M quail. They're going to dress out at almost uh, a little uh, between a half and three quarters of a pound a piece for as far as meat goes. Uh, so that's absolutely fantastic. Um so uh, they're, they're super, super good. They're super fast growing. You do need to grow them on like a high uh, percentage, uh, like, like a game bird feed, like a 28% protein or like a turkey starter. If you just have turkey starter, you can just grow them on turkey starter the entire time. Turkey starters usually are game bird starter. Turkey starter is usually cheaper than buying like the actual quail food or quail starter. It's all the same. It's all got the same percentage of uh, protein in it, 26 to 28%. And it's all just put in a different bag with a different barcode on it. It's all made at the same place. Dumont feeds. So, <clears throat> quail are really easy. Uh, by the time your quail are about so six weeks six weeks old and you're going to start culling them, uh, you can go ahead and pick which ones you're going to keep for breeders and which ones you're going to go send to freezer camp. A lot of people do freezer camp for quail different. I just skim them. Right, I grab a hold of the quail. I have its wings in, like I have its breast facing me. I put my thumbs on either side of the breast, push in, and push them along the side of the breast. The breast uh, skin tears right down the middle, and then I grab, put my finger inside the inside the neck hole, and just pull on the skin. It comes right off, and then just some wire cutters, clip clip for the wings, clip clip for the yep. tail, uh, for the. Uh, for the, the legs, and you're done. Like, you can clean a quail in, oh, man, I don't know, 10 seconds or so. Oh, yeah. Easily. It's not worth skinning them to me. Some people do. If you're going to skin them, you can do it. A bun- you can just scald them and skin them. Uh, the Texas A&M quail are white, so they do make a very pretty carcass if you do want to uh, defeather them at that point. Uh, but I just I just skin them. It's it's so much faster. It's so much easier. And then if you're just gonna, uh, if you're just my favorite way to cook them is to uh, just 
little egg yolk uh, batter and fry them. It was just the whole thing. Yeah, you did a deep fry yeah. and you had a, a little sauce that we did. Yeah, it really basically Kentucky Fred Quilt. It was really good. Um, so raising them, they can go in quail tractors outside. You just want to make sure that the, the top's not too tall. Are there any restrictions to growing quail? No, actually, no, surprisingly not. Okay. Um, most, like, because they don't, only the males make a noise. And the males make a... <whistles> um, when they're, uh, like, trying to gather up their females again. Mm-hmm. Or when they're challenging other males. But other than that, uh, they don't make noises. The, the, the girls make a really quiet, like... Uh, Kind of like a pigeony type cube, and like one tenth the volume. Super, super quiet. Uh, they lay an egg a day, just like a chicken does. Their eggs are surprisingly huge. The eggs weigh about a third, there's uh, a third of their size. So three um, quail eggs make one large chicken egg. So the 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 quail eggs are huge compared to the size of the quail. Uh, but like I said, one quail, one egg a day. Now their their laying life is only about a year, right? Before you need to, those ones need to go to freezer camp. The best way to keep them is in small cages with a slanted bottom. The bottom needs to be higher in the higher in the back and slanted uh, to a little bit in the front. You only need about an inch or a half inch of slant between the, the the back of the cage and the front of the cage. I do them in like thirty six inch wide cages. That are 24 inches deep and about 18 inches tall, and uh, that that gives you quite a bit of room inside of those. And I usually run one male to four females, so five little quails in each one of those cages. I have automatic little drinky cups in each little cage, um, and uh, just just a regular bar feeder that I just pour feed in. Now the reason you want that that cage, uh, then you're gonna then you're gonna give it a one inch gap. At the bottom of the cage, underneath the food. So, and then you're going to bend up the edge of the cage about four inches or three inches out from underneath that feeder. So, the cage floor is going to go from an inch drop going from the back all the way to the front. So, it's just a gentle slope. So, that because the females don't care, they're just going to be walking along, poop out an egg. The egg is going to roll from wherever it's at in that cage all the way to the front underneath that feeder and be stopped by a little bend up in the wire in the front so that in the mornings when it's time to go pick up your eggs, you can just gather all your eggs from the front without having to reach inside of the cages and make your birds all flighty and scared. Uh, fill up your feeder, make sure that the, 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 the water's topped off, and you're done. Um, and these are usually in a stack so that, like, I put uh, four, four cages across, and then I do four cages tall. So I do, like, what is that, like 16 cages in a block. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I just take, like, uh, I guess it's corrugated roof, like metal. I just put the corrugated roof metal, like, on top of each cage so that it catches the poop. And then, because uh, I actually use that poop, I scrape it off with just a broom into a uh, into a wheelbarrow. And then I take that and then put it in a barrel full of water. And then I'll water, like, roses and uh other high nitrogen things with that poo water. It smells like death. It really does. It smells terrible, but it's amazing for uh, to get things to bloom. Just absolutely amazing. You don't want to apply it to vegetables, obviously, because uh, it's basically a giant septic tank at that point. Uh, 
and it's very, very, very high nitrogen. So you don't want to just take your poo and apply it to your vegetables without adding it to your compost pile first or adding it to water with just a, a fish bubbler is what I usually do. You get some good uh, um, good digestion. Uh, it keeps it from going anoxic and, and just becoming real nasty. Uh, that's about all I can say about quail is they're really, 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 really easy. Uh, most places that won't let you have chickens won't even ask a damn question about quail. There's no, and we're, we're talking about putting 16 quail or 16 quail cages, each with five quail. What's, how many quail is that? A lot. A lot. 16 times five. So I'm sorry, I don't math. It's like 60 quail. Any dang quail. So you got 80 quail, and you're getting uh, 16 times 4. Sixty-four quail eggs a day out of off of those quail. Now you just need to recycle them every year. Just change out your males and your females and everything like that. Do quail eggs sell as well as like chicken eggs? I sell them. They sell really well. Uh, as far a lot, they don't have the same uh, proteins in them that chicken eggs have. So the people who are allergic to uh, chicken eggs mm-hmm. are not allergic to quail eggs. Uh, I usually sell them for the same price as chicken eggs, but I put 18 in, quail eggs in a, in a carton instead of uh, a dozen, you know, quail eggs. So I put 18 eggs in there. Just kind of make sure they're getting their money's worth. Uh, where your money for quail eggs is going to go to is you're going to be selling uh, fertile because the four uh, females to one male is going to give you fertile eggs to sell. They ship phenomenally well in the mail. Uh, there's a bunch of different little shippers, little plastic shippers you can buy. They're like a buck a piece. The holds little quail eggs, super stable. And then people just sandwich them between two pieces of like plastic foam and then put them into a medium shipping box and ship fertile, like hatching quail eggs anywhere in the United States for just, you know, super cheap. So that's one income stream from them. Another income stream from them is pickled. What do you keep yeah, having the in pickled. Hands? I was going to say the pickled oh. uh, quail eggs that I see in jars. I was like, why are you making claw symbols I'm over making, there? I'm making jar symbols oh, here. I was like, your claws. Why, <laughs> what are the claws for? Jar. Oh. And, uh, uh, yeah, so pickled quail eggs, they sell super, super well at farmer's have markets. Have you ever eaten one? I've never eaten one. I have. Yeah, have I do. Been? Oh, they're great. Um, so how to do that? How to pickle quail eggs. Let's do just a really quick how to pickle quail eggs. Don't peel them. Boil your quail eggs and then uh, drop them in pure vinegar. And the vinegar is going to eat the shell off. Then take them out of that pure vinegar and put them in your pickling solution. That's it. It's going to eat the shell off pretty quick, like a day or two. It also give them that sharp initial uh, tangy bite. And then your regular pickling solution they eat like a dill. I always do like a dill, but I add like a slice of beet to it. For some reason, people like kind of like a purplish, reddish quail egg. I don't know why, but that's just a thing they like in quail eggs instead of having to be white. Does it give it a flavor? The bean? No. No? Not really. Just one little slice doesn't do anything. It just dyes the egg different like colors. Pink, purple. Yeah. And people like that in quail eggs versus just having them be like yolky. Well, they like yolk. that are pretty. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're pretty, I guess. Um, I don't, I don't know. blame them. I don't know. People just like it. 
So uh, some of those, they're great. They get, you know, like 10 bucks a jar, but it doesn't look like it's in there. Um, then uh, selling the Asian markets. Big, big thing is that you can get, if you get a contract to, to just provide your one quail boat block, you know, 64 freaking eggs a day, do that, you know, take it twice a week to the Asian market, uh, you're going to be making some good money. You're, I'd imagine you can partner with restaurants too, local restaurants, you yeah. know, like actual full grown quail. Yeah. Well, that, that you're getting into a whole bunch of different, you're getting into a needing to have a USDA processing. Mm. Unless you're just going to do it all under the table. But that's great until the, the restaurant gets caught. Yeah. Um, we don't advise against don't, that. We don't, we don't currently advise that you do that. However, if the economy gets crappier, go ahead. <laughs> like, what are they going to do? Take your quail away? <laughs> you know, so you'll have all new quail in six weeks. So it doesn't matter. Uh, um yeah, so selling hatching eggs, pickling the quail eggs, selling the quail eggs uh, instead of like 18 uh, to a pack, instead of a 12 to a pack, the same price as you sell your, your farm uh, chicken eggs, um, and then selling uh, eggs to uh, your Asian markets, uh, farmers markets, restaurants, things like that. It's going to go really well for you. As far as uh, selling juvenile birds on Craigslist, you'll never run out of people wanting to buy live quail. Uh, because quail are so easy to process, you just sell them the live quail and then they take it home and process it, usually. Or sometimes people want to try their hand at breeding their own quail. Some, you know, 10 bucks a piece for full-size breeders. Um, works out really well. Or just 5 bucks a piece if they want to eat them. There's a lot of income streams. Remember that you don't have a lot involved in that quail. Newborn baby quails usually go for a dollar to two dollars to when they're about four weeks old, three dollars. Um, and that's if you're just gonna buy them from the feed store or something like that. So, quail super fast, super easy. I love quail deaths, they're a lot of fun. Uh, let's talk about chickens now. Do do chickens, quick luck. So, uh, everybody knows about chickens, chickens are super easy to take care of. Don't Buy bantams if you want to do eggs. There's a lot of egg-laying bantams out there, which is great. But why are you going to buy something that lays an egg a little 50% bigger than a quail egg? Right? That's going to require the same type of coop as a regular chicken, the same kind of incurt as a regular chicken, the same kind of everything as a regular chicken. Just produce half as much as a regular chicken. And then when you go to eat it, when it's outlived its life, has half as much meat. I love bantams. Don't get me wrong. I keep bantams. Bantams are, are for fun. They are for fun. They're yeah. Cute. My They're favorite, quirky. I love the little uh, Dionkle bantams, uh, Millie de Fleur. I love the Japanese bantams with their crazy straight up and down little tails. If I was going to have like a whole flock of bantams to have do nothing but just run around the farm and straight murder everything, I would get the BB game uh, bantams. They look like little Compsognathicus or like little uh, little tiny dinosaurs that are like, you know, eight inches tall. They're super skinny. They're slick. They're, they're little game hands, but they're ugly. <laughs> and uh, they're cheap as heck. Uh, like Cackle Nursery usually has them like for a buck a piece. Uh, but uh, they're, they're really, really fun. They're they're going to run off, and you're not going to get eggs from them. They don't produce very much, and their eggs aren't much bigger than a quail egg. 
They're gonna, but they're gonna run the entire farm and just kill bugs all day long. So they work out really well, uh, as far as that. Now everybody else knows about regular chickens, right? Uh, pick a pick a breed you like. Pick a dual. I personally suggest people pick a dual purpose bird. Well, dual purpose is a meat and eggs bird, right? Like uh, your barred rock, your red rocks, uh, your uh, golden. What is the sex link and all those other ones like that? Uh, just because they have a big wide breast, that when you're done with them and they've lived their life, they can go to freezer camp and you don't feel guilty about it because they're delicious. Um, now, I see people replace their chickens every year. I don't. I replace my chickens when uh, they stop producing, usually, or they really, really slow down. That's usually 18 months to two years, depends on the the variety and the breeds. The the Surprisingly, the most and here in Texas where it's super hot, the most reliable layer I ever had uh, were the the turkins, the naked neck ones. That just they're just terribly ugly. Um, we had we had a pet one we called Scrote uh, for obvious reasons. It was just a terribly terrible ugly uh, head, but she reliably laid a very very large, extra large dark brown with black speckled egg every day for like two years and then she went to freezer camp um i see people buying new chickens every year and not getting rid of their old chickens okay uh you're becoming the crazy cat lady of chickens right you can't chickens live a long time like seven to ten years if you take care of them well but their useful life is only about two so now you're having something you're feeding that's doing nothing at all for you. Your farm is a machine. It is a it is your it is your life DBA as a farm, right? It's your life doing business as a farm. Everything needs to have a job, or it's just slowly draining your pocket and not giving you back anything. Uh, the chicken's job, just like the quill's job is to be, make eggs and meat. So go ahead and have some weird, funky chickens. Have fun with them. As long as they're laying eggs, that's great. Uh, you can sell eggs. You can sell fertile hatching eggs. You can sell babies. You can hatch babies. Barnyard mixes and sell them, uh, which works really, really great. One of my favorite tricks is to hatch a whole bunch of eggs right before Easter and then sell baby chicks. And with each baby chick, I give them a little care sheet. The care sheet has my phone number on it. Because in about a week, mom's going to give you back that chicken. And now you've just not had to take care of it for a week or feed it for a week. And it comes right back to you. So you sell the baby chick for 10 bucks with a little carrier and a little care sheet. And then you then you go on Amazon. You go on somewhere else and buy a whole bunch of those little uh, um, the, the, the feeders and the waters that screw onto a wide mouth jar. That's all you need. You don't need the little plastic jar. You just need the little feeders and waters. They can they can provide their own dang jar. And you just sell those with the little kit, you know, with an extra two fifty a piece for each one of those. So your whole kit's fifteen bucks for the little one chicken, two little plastic feeders that are going to come right back to you, and uh, <laughs> they're just they're basically renting it for a week, and it comes right back to you. So you haven't had to take care of that chicken. Just check it out, make sure it's still healthy, then chuck it back in the brooder, and it's back, it's good to go. You just boomerang that chicken. Same thing with bunnies. I think we talked about that. Selling the baby bunnies and stuff like that, people will just come right back to you. 
<laughs> yeah, so that works out really well. Oh, and Easter is one of my favorite Easter tricks to make a little extra money uh, is the chickens. So we've talked about chickens. Oh, we didn't talk about processing chickens. So I've seen a lot of those um, devices. It's like... I like pluckers. Yeah, so that's what it is. Yeah. Plucker, okay. Okay, two different ones. Uh, three. Let's talk about three different types. So there's the old type where you would scald, you would, you would murder your chicken, scald your chicken, then hand pluck. I don't hand pluck, guys. It's too big of a freaking mess. Um, what I do is I use a plucker. There's two different types of pluckers you can get from there. There's the tractor supply type where it's a big, specially made drum that rotates and has little, little like ribbed fingers in there and a hose connection. So you turn the hose on. Hose sprays inside the drum. The drum rotates. You drop your scalded chicken. So you bring water to just below boiling. You dip your chicken in there. Count, you know, 15, 20 seconds. Take it out. Drop it into your drum. The drum spins really quick. Sprays water in there to wash out the feathers. And then after about 20 seconds of the drum, the chicken is completely denuded. You can take it out there, send it down the line to get gutted and everything else. It works phenomenally well. Um, you might have one or two pin feathers here or there, but as far as spending all day plucking a chicken, it, it's they're marvelous. The second one are kits that you'll buy online where it's just a little bit of a step-down drill bit and a whole bunch, like 187 of those plastic fingers, and what and directions on how to take an old washing machine and uh, rip the guts off the top. Hot wire it to go only go on a spin cycle when you put the on button, and then all those holes in the in the in the washer, you're gonna put those fingertips, those little fingers through those holes. You take a little drill bit, drink, and it just makes the hole a little bigger. Takes about ten seconds per hole. Pop the little finger through, you're good to go. You're buying the pre-made, um, like uh, what do you call them? The, Defeatherizers, mm -hmm. whatever. Uh, the feather, the pre-made pluckers uh, are expensive. They're like four or five hundred bucks. The little kits where you can buy, like you know, a cheapy broken washing machine, and just all you need to do is spin cycle. That's it. Uh, and uh, if as long as the motor works and it'll spin, you can hotwire it to go. There's a million videos on how to do it. And if you just want to look up homemade a chicken plucker, works out great. You're looking at like a $40 kit. Uh, so one-tenth of the price, a little bit more work, and it accomplishes the same thing. I personally like the washing machine version because it is bigger. It allows you to put ducks and turkeys and geese in there versus doing just a little standard chicken bucker, which will really struggle with a large duck. Does that... Did that cover the chicken pluckers? That did cover the chicken pluckers. I'd probably go for option one initially just because I'd like to build a foundation of how to do it and just get a sense of doing it manually. And then I'd go. I will let you pluck the living crap out of it. <laughs> you haven't done that yet. I, no, I haven't done it. So I want it's to It's a miserable it. mess. It's okay. They let stick, it be my miserable mess. They and stick let, to let everything. It be my learning lesson. They and stick to I will, everything. I'll have to try it one day. And then your hands are going to smell it. like freaking chicken food. Well, I'm going to use gloves, sicko. Right. Yeah, I'm all about gloves on the, on the farm, guys. Like, no. Anyway, um, and then I would opt for the more expensive device. Oh, and don't, oh, <laughs> there's, uh, there's, there's those gimmicky chicken pluggers that hook to a drill. Oh, I've seen those. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, where do you think all those wet feathers are going? Everywhere. On you. Oh, it spins away from you. I'm gonna have to wear a suit. So it just throws them everywhere, man. Don't worry about it. Not worth it. Not worth it. Don't. No. Uh. Uh. No. No fun. That's funny. So yeah, Uh, just the chicken plucker and um. Uh. I'll probably I'll I'll throw uh, the link. I'll try to put the link in the show notes to a video of how they're making the chicken puckers out of the uh, um, the forty dollar kit. The forty dollar kit, right? So perfect. That's chickens. Moving right along, what do we got here? Do, 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 do. Uh, ducks. You want to talk about your duck experience? Ah, uh, my ducks. Okay, so ducks. I have a a, a, a warm. I, I really love ducks. I really do. I enjoyed my ducks. I don't love how messy ducks are. Um, so I was very, um, I was like OCD with my my duck cage, you know, always cleaning it out, always, you know, making sure my ducks were good. But I just enjoyed them. I think they have a lot of characters. So I would like really drink my coffee and, and go feed the ducks and like watch them and stuff. And it was pretty cool. But I had, um, at one point, I had about 19 ducks. And I was really fond of them, and I would go out every morning, check on my ducks, you know, every evening, check on them, you know, make sure they're okay. I really put a lot of time and effort into my ducks. And we literally had, I mean, this thing was like Alcatraz, you know, it's cage where it was where they were housed, you know, it was like Alcatraz. I mean, we really, we, we even had, um, so that coyotes wouldn't claw and dig, you know, we had, uh, what was that? Uh, it was the hardwire, right? Yeah, the hard wire. All, yeah around all, all around the ground, you know, around the whole chicken or my duck coop um, to avoid from, you know, coyotes trying to dig there. Didn't stop one coyote from scaling the actual side of the coop, uh, my duck coop, and actually jumping inside. He went up like a, like seven scaled, foot freaking yeah. fence. Scaled it, um, made a hole at the top, Jumped in, and in the morning, my husband, you know, went out. He thought something was odd because he didn't hear them. So as I was washing dishes after I'd made breakfast, you know, he went out to check on ducks, you know. um, And then he comes in, and my husband always, like, has this really gentle way of breaking terrible news to me. So he just walks up behind me really gently and in a really soft voice, and he looks at me, and he's like, honey... He's like, you know, Coyote got into the duck coop last night and none of your ducks made it. Um, so it literally had, you know, gotten, torn out each of their necks um, and left the carcasses there, which was really interesting, right? So we knew that this thing would be back, that this Coyote would be back. And um, my husband vowed that he would take care of it for me because I was really upset. Um, we, you know, I helped him pile the ducks, you know, together in, in one area. And we left them out purposely because we knew it would attract the, the Coyote back. Um, so when I saw this thing, this coyote was the fattest, plumpest coyote that I'd ever seen. Like I think it, it was, was a koi dog. It was a. It was really big. Yeah, it was like it was a half coyote, half something else. Like yeah, it was really big. It was really well shepherd fed, in it. It was, and I was really upset for for West Texas coyote to be. Yeah, it wasn't spryly like or anything. 60, 70 pounds. Like this thing was is a koi. It dog. was like ninety pounds for sure. <laughs> At least. No, it was it was about sixty seven. No, it was ninety. In my mind, in, in my, my heart, okay. it was a ninety pound coyote dog but, uh, that killed my coyote. So anyway, yeah, it was um, it's a koi dog. It was I, it was half coyote. It looked mostly like a coyote, like ninety nine percent like a coyote, except that it was huge, like uh, yeah. like well over six feet from snout to snout yeah. to back leg. So, like, it was 
very large, very large dog. Lesson learned, don't underestimate a predator. A predator is going to do its darndest to try to get to whatever it wants to get to, right? Whatever prey it wants. So that's one. And then two, I really enjoyed um, duck eggs. So duck eggs are uh, a lot Phenomenal. richer. They're phenomenal for baking. I mean, oh, yeah. I never had softer, fluffier bread and and baked goods. Um, so they were great for baking. Uh, they're great for breakfast. Um, they were just richer. They were just delicious. Uh, so I really enjoyed. You the can't duck cook eggs. a duck egg the same way you cook a chicken egg. Yeah, you cook it. You can cook a chicken egg hard and fast, you know, and they're fine. But if you cook a duck egg hard and fast, it turns it rubber. Yeah, the way that the proteins line up on them is the same reason that uh, on the chicken eggs the proteins. Um, they shrink slowly, right? So when they when heat's applied to them, they, they shrink real slowly, which keeps them from going r- rubbery. When the duck egg, when heat's applied to it, the egg the, it shrinks almost immediately. They're like little the proteins are stretched out little springs. As soon as heat hits them, bang, they just they, they go to tiny little locked up springs. So um, that's why they're so good for baking and everything. Is that once everything gets super fluffy and is. Uh, um, like your leavening goes off and it gets all super big and fluffy. At that point, the heat's to the point where it goes bam and it just solidifies the bread at whatever height that was at and slows down the um, the release of moisture. So you're gonna duck eggs are the secret to angel food cakes to the secret to most every large fancy cake. And if you're gonna if you're looking at a lot of uh, um, Hardcore bakers, they're using duck eggs, mm-hmm. whether it's powdered duck eggs or they're ordering duck eggs slurry. They're using duck eggs instead of chicken eggs. And you can actually make more money off of duck eggs. Oh, quite a bit more. Um, so, uh, Duck eggs are 20% larger than a chicken egg. They've got 20% more protein. They've got a lot more vitamins and minerals in them. They uh, last forever on the counter as long as you don't wipe off that uh, protective outside coat. Mm-hmm. Uh, like months, months on the counter. Um, they're hard as heck to crack. Like you really have to beat them up. And let's talk about that because you brought up a good point. You know, we didn't cover this when we talked about chickens. Is that coating? Yeah. Um, so we know that you know, if farmers markets are infamous for having eggs that are really well cleaned, and that's great and all, but just know that once you clean that that film off, you have an expiration date. And you have to refrigerate them. Yeah, you have to refrigerate them. You got, so. you got two weeks on a refrigerator, and that, that's about it. Yep, so keep that in mind when you're uh, trying to resell your chicken eggs. If you clean them too soon before the farmer's market, then you put a an actual you know time clock. The easiest Sorry. way to, to clean them without messing them up is to have a uh, like a kid's bucket full of sand, like fine, fine sand. And you put your egg in there, and you kind of Swish the bucket back and forth like a washing machine, and it will scrub off most of the poo without ruining the, the bloom on them. Yeah. And they can take them and put them over there. They're going to be kind of a little dirty. I mean, no, what I would do is I would just hold them on the counter for, you know, and then when I knew I was going to go show at a market, you know, the night before, then I'd get my, you know, I'd clean them off, make them all pretty and presentable, put them in their little cartons. People like that, right? People like that, you know, not only, they, they want to know it's clean, they want to know it's coming from a good, good source farm. So you want to be, you know, you want to present it well. So you want to buy your little egg carts, you want to stamp them, you want to put the expiration date on them. Uh, we were big, we were really big about stamping the, the little dates on them and, and just writing yeah. initials or whatever, you know, and making it all cutesy. And people love that shit. So. They really like the stamps. Yeah. So we just bought generic egg cartons off of, man, I don't remember. Amazon. Amazon, I, think, yeah. I believe. Just, we love Amazon. And uh, 
Then you you went on Etsy and got a little stamp made, didn't you? Yeah, I went on Etsy, got a stamp, a custom stamp made. It was cheap. It wasn't expensive. Nope. And then I would just stamp my little boxes and and put just my had a little farm and, logo and it had yeah. a date, and just a space that just said date and a little line, and we just put like five twenty three. Mm-hmm. And we when we ran the farm for um you know in West Texas uh you know the family that owned the farm would come out on the weekends and they, they would I would have the eggs already lined up for them in the fridge along with other crops and vegetations that we picked and then they would come and pick up their little baskets and their little eggs and so it was really cute yeah it was a lot of fun it was a lot of fun so uh and duck eggs you treat them roughly the same way yeah um i i try not to to wash them real hard ducks are not like chickens they're not going to lay eggs in a nest unless they're getting ready to actually hatch them so uh as far as your egg laying breeds khaki campbells were the ones that you had Mm-hmm. Uh, they were great. Uh, buff ducks are phenomenal at that. There's a uh, silver apple yard. I have a big crush on. I think they're absolutely beautiful. They're not the highest laying uh, duck breed. There's, there's the golden 300, which is uh, a hybrid between a buff and a uh, um, khaki camel. They have a, a slightly better temperament. Khaki camels can be kind of flightish. If you don't love on them every day, let's talk about those ones are, and then stay away from Sayuga. Sayugas are, uh, they're black. They're really pretty. They're, they're smaller duck, uh, almost a call duck size, but they don't lay a lot of, a lot of eggs real well. Then there's a, man, there's a bunch of different. Did we talk about the feed? the difference in feed between chickens and ducks because ducks you actually are required to buy like the actual feed for them yeah chickens you can just kind of get a- away with a, a little bit more because chickens are like little vultures guys they're like literal it's like literally raising little dinosaurs um so they chase down lizards anyway. yeah they chase down lizards i mean they're very carnivorous yeah. um you do want a higher protein duck food yeah and they have they have a waterfowl waterfowl and duck food um that and then you want to buy a high protein layer. So mm-hmm. instead of like a sixteen percent or fourteen percent layer, you want to go like a twenty percent layer for your ducks. If you can find a twenty percent layer, uh, you're going to be good. Red Chain Feeds has it. A whole bunch of different places have the twenty percent layer. You, you'll be fine with with that. Um, now let's talk about raising baby ducks. Baby ducks do everything in their life to die before they're about two and a half weeks old. They will, you sneeze at them wrong and they'll freaking die. You look at them sideways and they'll die. If they get wet, they're going to die. If yeah. the air conditioner blows on them, they're going to die. Very if the screen door opens too loud and too fast, you know, like it gets you startle them. them. You can literally startle them to death. Yeah. So baby ducks are, until they're about two and a half weeks old, you need to baby the crap out of them. Keep them warm, keep them dry, keep them super dry, and keep them calm. After two and a half, three weeks old, they're bulletproof. You can't kill them if you want to. Um, but that two and a half, three weeks, keep them super, super clean. That I mean, they're going to make a mess. They're going to make a mess. They're going to play with their water. They're going to make a mess. So deep litter, all right? Uh, you don't want to let them be in their own food and pooey mess. That, uh, that gives them... Uh, bacterial infections mm-hmm. that they just murders them really really fast. Their crop will get sour. It'll murder them super fast. You put their food on one side and their water on the other side of the, of the cage so that they can't mix the two and they poop in the middle, running back and forth. 
Yeah. Okay. So, uh, and make your cage long. Don't try to put them in a small box. The bigger the cage with the, with the big hot area in the middle and food on one side and water on the other. If you can put them, you know, two and a half, three feet apart for a dozen ducks, you're better off. Uh, if you can put them three or four feet apart in a kiddie pool or something like that with a big heat lamp over the top of it, even better. Uh, don't put them on wire when they're babies. Their little web feet get sores on them, and with a tiny little cut or a nick or anything like that, when they're tiny and the babies, they're going to walk across their own poo and across their own feet and across their own muck, and they're going to get an infection and die. So that, that first two and a half, three weeks, they're, they just try their best to die. And either way, it's just best practice um, to get yourself in a routine uh, to where you're cleaning out your chicken coop or your duck coop every morning, you know, hosing it down, you know, cleaning it down, making sure that your chickens and ducks have enough feed for the day, enough water. Um, and then when it, obviously if it's a really, really hot day, then you want to go check check on them midday. And, and then, of course, at night, just take a glance at them and make sure that they're okay. Uh, but just get yourself in the routine of doing that and, and you'll be in a good spot. Yeah. Uh, d- don't play with your duckies in water until they just barely, yeah. until you, they start, you'll start noticing them, they get tall and skinnier. And they'll start losing their little soft down and start getting a few pin feathers. At that size, they're about, what do you say, maybe six inches tall? Mm-hmm. Once they're about six inches, eight inches tall, then, uh, and that happens really fast. Yeah. They, ducks grow fast. You can really, set a really water fast. trough in there and they'll love that. Yeah, then you can play with them in water. But when they're little tiny babies, they don't float. <laughs> they float for seconds. Because the mommy has preen oil, and what she'll do is she'll rub this gland in the middle of her back with her, with her, uh, with her beak, and then she'll rub her babies and put the preen oil all over the babies, and that keeps the babies floating. Like in the wild, when the babies float, when you get them from the hatchery, they don't have that. There's no substitute for it. So your little fluffy babies that you put in the bathtub, they only float for, oh, 60 seconds. Then they start getting wet like a cotton ball. And then they're going to die. They're going to either drown, but then they're never going to get dry again. And they're going to die. They, they, they're, they're too delicate. Now, four-week-old chi- four babies, throw them in the bathtub. It's super easy to take care of them. I like raising ducks in a spare bedroom bathtub. And the reason I like doing that is because I can. the bathtub's long, you know, a long trough. I can put the water at one side, the food at the other, and then... They make a huge ass mess, and then as soon as they make a mess, I could pick them all up and put them in a box, and then pick the food and the water up, and then take the hose, like the, the the spray head, and then just turn it on and rinse everything off. I rinse it all down the drain, put everything back in there, dump the ducks back in, you know, the, the bathtub after it's, you know, the water's gone. Turn the heat lamp back on, and you're good to go. Do that two or three times a day. Just every time you go to the bathroom, pick the ducks up, throw them in a box, spray everything down the drain. Pop it back in. He's speaking from experience when he was single because that, that shit does not fly now. It works so well. It, it works so well. Room. I don't care. Spare I, if you have spare a, a, one of those bathtubs, you know, like the old antique ones, or even just like a spare bathtub, you know, that you have outside or whatever, feel free to do that. Ah, worked out great in the side. Yeah. Just turn the turn the fan on. <laughs> I'm boycotting that. That's not happening. That's not a thing. So it's the fastest, bestest, easiest way I've found to get over that first three weeks of having baby ducks. After that, the three and a half, three and a half, four weeks, chuck them outside, 
uh, and they're bulletproof. Rain won't touch them. Snow won't touch them. Hurricane, they just laugh at it. Uh, at that point, they, it, you you have to try to kill them. Ducks, after they get past that initial, like, baby duck phase, or the baby, like, just like with baby chickens, when they get past the, the, the little baby chicken phase where you can stick them outside, chicks, you still have to kind of keep an eye on ducks. They're totally bulletproof. You can't, you can't kill them if you want to. Uh, you can't drown them for a while. They'll just float. But, uh, yeah, so they don't mind anything. Ducks, super easy. I like ducks. Um, dual, most all of those ducks that I mentioned, dual except purpose. for runners, runners are not a dual purpose. Yeah. Runners are cool, they stand straight up and down, they're super flighty, uh, but they're really great foragers. What's the difference in, in the way like duck meat versus chicken meat? And is there a difference in the way you have to cook them? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, generally, uh, people take uh, and uh, don't eat their ducks, they <laughs> there's something called a duck press. Have you ever seen that? I think I've shown you that, right? I don't know. It looks like an apple press, like like for prep, but it's made out of stainless steel. No, you've never shown and me you that. Roast, you roast your duck. I would be appalled. You roast your duck, okay. and then you cut off all of the all of the meat and stuff, but you put it in the duck press, and you just you crank it down, and it presses out all the juices. No, I've never seen that. And you use the juices as, uh, like, for... Gravy. That's see, we didn't get that far in our duck raising. I don't. Yeah, I don't. I'm not a big fan of the ducks. Yeah. Uh, they're as far as eating domestic duck, it's not bad. Um, if you get a, like, like say, silver apple yard or something like that, some big bodied uh ducks, they're they're great. They're mostly dark meat. I see a lot of roasted duck on like bougie menus, yeah, but they're how they do that, okay, is they take they slice the breasts off. And they slice the breasts like medium rare, uh-huh. and they put them on a fancy potatoes. Then they put the rest of the duck in the duck breasts. Oh wow! And then they squish well, all. That's like not worth the meat then. Yeah, they squish all the juices out and turn that into the into the juice no. that they put around the outside. No, of them. not happening. Yeah, nothing. Okay, duck press. Yeah, no duck press. But okay, I just wanted to know if there was like a big difference between them, which obviously there is. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a big fan. There's people out there who will probably send me hate mail. Like, duck's the best duck I've ever duck and had. And I'll be like, <laughs> congratulations. But uh, duck tastes like iguana to me. <laughs> oh, well, I've never had iguana, so that's weird. But, uh, yeah. So <laughs> kind, of, no kind of lizardy, kind of fishy. It's, oh. it's just... Uh, just uh, I've had alligator. Yeah, not quite yeah. like alligator. No. Like chicken? No. Kind of. uh, chickeny. 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 Yeah. Festival. Okay. Anyway. So uh, let's talk about turkeys. Turkeys are super, super great. Oh, easy. turkey tom. I love raising. I love doing turkeys. If you're gonna do turkeys, get chickens at the same time. Get your chickens, get your turkeys at the same time. People are gonna whine. They'll be like, "Oh, you get blackhead disease." Blah 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 blah. That's uh, outside. Not when they're little babies. You need turkeys are phenomenally stupid when they're babies. Like. Try to catch raindrops out of the air and drown themselves. Uh, peck at a light bulb until it explodes and shock the living crap out of themselves. Like uh, repeatedly ram into a mirror. They're so pretty though. Yeah, no, when they're small, they're stupid as hell. Mm-hmm. When they're small, uh, they spend the first five weeks of their life trying to kill themselves in the most creative manners they can come up with. They're really, really dumb. Like trying to repeatedly perch on an electric fence. Until, like, and then 
Like it's stupid. So they become dirty for Yeah. Her. And they get upset when they like their weed touches the pole and it grounds and they get shocked. And they jump down, they get mad at the pole and jump up and attack the pool and repeatedly get shocked until they die. Yeah. Like turkeys are stupid when they're babies. Oh, so stupid. That's why you need some chickens to show the turkeys where the food and water is. So if you're gonna do like say you're gonna order you're gonna order a dozen uh, turkeys, get three and four baby chickens at the same time and throw them in there with the turkeys. Won't hurt the turkeys at all. The baby chickens will show the turkeys where the food and the water is and kind of baby them along. Now the turkeys are gonna grow super super fast. It's not gonna hurt your chickens to eat the turkey food, which is like twenty eight percent protein or something like that, right? Your turkey, your your game bird, your turkey grower. So it's not going to hurt the chick, the baby chicks uh, because the baby chicks are going to go to freezer camp anyway eventually. So it's not going to hurt them. They're not going to live to the ripe old age of seven. Uh, works out really, really well. Uh, after your turkeys are about knee high, I'm a tall guy. So what's that, like two and a half feet? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Once your chickens are, once your turkeys are about two foot tall, then they're pretty much bulletproof. They go outside. They'll perch wherever the heck they want, uh, and they'll come back to their home every night. Yeah. Uh, they like No they, sense in trying to keep them fenced in. It's no, not going to happen. They not fly gonna happen. up and if you're gonna, fly out. Yeah, if you're going to do a, a heritage breeds, like we really liked our bourbon reds, like uh, the big red turkeys, because they're gorgeous. They have a lot of personality. Uh, I like taking the turkeys on walks. So tur- tur- <laughs> turkeys like humans a lot. Um, and too much, man. Though, yeah, I, one of them had a huge crush on me, it would attack you, yeah, yeah. But uh, big old Tom, big Tom, like 50 pounds, he's a Spanish. I black. think he had a crush on me because I would wear a red sweater, oh, and apparently yeah. that attracts turkeys. Yeah. And so, yeah. Turkey Tom attacked me one day, and my husband here thought it was the funniest thing to see me running in circles. Trying to get Turkey Tom off my back. I mean, we're talking. Me. We're talking about legitimately a live weight, like fifty-five oh, pounds, sixty-pound turkey, live weight, big old breeder, uh, real sweet bird, but uh, just really had a thing for you. Just found you absolutely beautiful. Oh, and was just trying to beat you down and hump you into submission. Yeah, yeah, I was terrified. <laughs> so uh, me and turkeys, yeah, we have a loving relationship. So I love turkeys. Oh, man, I it love- was a beautiful thing though when it would like frolic its feathers. That was really cool to see. So I like taking the turkeys on walks. Turkeys to me are probably the most personable. Uh, they bond the hardest to their humans, of like your chickens, your quails, any other animals. They're gonna bond to you. And follow you like puppies. So taking the turkeys on walks is a lot of fun. Once they're about knee high, you can start taking them on walks. You just get them to come to you when you make like the turkey noise, like beep, 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 beep. And they'll just come running from wherever they're at to come see what you have. So every time you make that noise or like you'll pick a noise, it doesn't matter what it is, a whistle, uh, you know, a car alarm noise, it doesn't matter. Just pick a noise and consistently make it. I do the peeping things. That's what they do when they find something that's interesting. And so how, how long is it from, like, buying a turkey, raising a turkey, to tabling a turkey for Thanksgiving? Why are you trying to speed this up? I'm not trying to speed it up. I'm just asking well, you a question. I don't know. It depends. Uh, like, for your broad-breasted whites, it's pretty fast. But they're like the Cornish game hens of 
of like mm. they're like the Cornish cross. They're, they're they're super fast. You have to control how much they eat because they'll have a heart attack from eating. I was just asking because most people would probably raise turkey for Thanksgiving. Let's say five months, four okay. months, five yeah. months. Yeah, long enough for you to get really attached to them. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, so I take the turkeys in the walks. It's really good for them. You're going to get a bigger, meatier bird from it. They're also going to learn their territory um, and where they can and can't go. And they're going to learn to go through your garden, eat your bugs. Uh, they do, they are phenomenal grasshopper munchers. So, grasshoppers, bugs, anything like that, they're going to do a fantastic job of taking them out. So, if your little chickens are kind of like little bit tiny velociraptors, your turkeys are going to be like your Utah raptors. They're going to take out, like, uh, I've seen turkeys take out uh, uh, mice, medium-sized rats, small snakes, like anything. Man. They're just they're just voracious eaters. Turkeys are really easy. Uh, my favorite breed is, uh, like I said, bourbon reds. Uh, one of the ones I want to do is uh, the midget white. Mm. Um, they're like a turkey the size of a very large, excuse me, of a very large chicken, like a big, big chicken. They're adorable. I think they're adorable, and so I'm going to do them. Uh, to breed your turkeys is not that difficult. Pick your one. So if you buy 12 turkeys, pick one male and, like, three hens, and keep those and send the rest to the freezer camp. Put them in their own cage so the chickens don't go in there and lay eggs, and the ducks don't go in there and lay eggs in their own or try to steal the turkey eggs. And I let my turkeys raise their turkeys. Well, I let turkeys raise turkeys. The babies are, if the mom's not afraid of you, the babies aren't going to be afraid of you. So it's perfectly fine. Not like with chickens, where if the chickens raise a chicken, the, the baby chickens are kind of like skittish around people. Mm-hmm. When the turkey raises a turkey, they always look to see what the parents are afraid If the parents are freaked out about you, they're going to be freaked out about you. But if, if mom comes up to you looking for food, and, you know, letting you pet her and stuff. Uh, and it's very important to be able to touch your turkeys. You're talking about an animal that's, that, that potentially get 50, 55 pounds. It's very important to be able to pet them, love on them, pick them up, and to have boundaries. Like, don't let your turkeys get used to sitting on your shoulder, for example. I've done that. And it was cool when they were tiny. And I've got pictures of my shoulders just covered with tiny turkeys. Not cool when they're 50 pounds and you've got six turkeys trying to sit on you all at the same time. You got 300 pounds turkey trying to dogpile on top of you, all fighting over who gets to get to the shoulder because they want to be as high as possible. Not cool. So have some boundaries with your turkeys. It's cool to come over for pets and scratches and and, uh, and treats. Not cool to jump up on you. Um, and, uh, man, slate blue, the slate turkeys, the uh, <laughs> what is it, royal palm, all the Spanish black, uh, all of these are great turkeys. Um, now, any of the broad-breasted bronze or the broad-breasted white, those are going to be your traditional like uh, Thanksgiving-type turkey, the big ones, mm-hmm. the really big-breasted guys you're going to buy. Uh, and if you're going to sell turkeys, you can either sell a heritage breed turkey, but people are might not be um, used to buying a heritage breed. They're not going to have the big, giant, full breasts that a uh, broad-breasted turkey is going to have. They're going to look more like the turkeys that, uh, uh, like the settlers used to eat, like a wild turkey, but a much larger size than a wild turkey. Uh, and that's pretty much it. Like, if you're going to raise turkeys to sell, 
you could do your broad-breasted whites and your broad-breasted bronze and raise them 50% grass, 50% feed, and have a beautiful turkey that you can sell for 70 or 80 bucks, 40 or 100 bucks or more. Because it's a, uh, you know, it's, it's a grass-fed, mm-hmm. locally raised turkey. Or just save it for your table. Or save it for your very table. Very nice, yeah. turkey, you know. Oh, uh, back, yeah, back to breeding the turkeys real quick. So I, there's two different ways to do this. You can take a 55-gallon drum barrel, cut it in half, like top to bottom lengthwise. So that you, so it sits in like a U shape and stuff it full of hay and it'll go inside there and lay their eggs or just take like three bells of hay and put two next or four bells of hay. Sorry. Put two next to each other, leave a little gap and put two on top. So it's a big deep hole that they can go into and uh, make their nest in there. They like them. They like overhead cover basically. Uh, and dog houses were great. Like cheap free dog houses were great. For turkey for, for turkeys. And when turkeys make babies, they make 12, 18, 20 to go. So uh, when they hatch babies, they're very good at it. That's why I was saying you only need three hens and one boy. You know, then you've got potentially 60 babies. They're probably so cute. Uh, so are any of the birds that we've talked about so far, like quail, chickens, ducks, you know how they have that um, where if you if they are recently hatched and a human interacts with them too soon, the mom kind of not these domestic ones. Okay, no, that would be um, like uh, guinea hens, which okay. we're, which we're about to talk about real quick. So guinea hens, uh, there's a famous saying about guinea hens is that if uh, you don't ha- if you buy guinea hens, your neighbor now has guinea hens, and that's the thing they they just they're gonna roam, they're gonna roam. Are really the one that run fast that have little things yes. in head? Oh, how cute. I love those. Those are great. Yeah, we're going to have some. We'll have okay. some because they're, they're the number one tick eaters. They will eat almost the weight ticks a day if you let them. Okay. They, they are amazing for like... Multi-purpose. Yeah. They're amazing tick eaters. Guinea hens are loud. They go... You know, like if they see something sketchy, they're not just doing it because like a shadow move. Um if you keep them pinned up all the time, yeah, any tiny little change and they're going to freak out. But if you try, if you have an open top to your pin or any way for them to escape, they're going to get out. If you only feed them inside the pin, like the chicken pin, right? If their only source of food and water is inside the chicken pin, they will come back to the chicken pin in the evenings. Yeah. Uh, they might just come back to visit and then roost in the trees above the chicken pin. But they're gonna come. You're gonna get to see them every day. I'm chuckling internally because what a what a loophole, right? Like, so the the property that we're purchasing, um, they had light restrictions, right? And one of the light restrictions, surprisingly enough, was that no roosters were allowed. So we're like, okay, well, no roosters because they make noise, blah blah. blah. But they didn't say anything about guinea hens. <laughs> so I don't really need a rooster. I know, I know, we don't yeah. need roosters. But I'm just laughing because I'm sure guinea hens make as much noise. Oh, probably um, about. About twice as much. Yeah, so that's <laughs> kind of funny, right? <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, guinea hens are not not a subtle animal. Yeah, um, they, they didn't say anything about guinea hens. They though. did not. They not yet. Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll be the reason yeah. for uh, for there being some some new rules. We're always the we're always the reason for there being new rules somewhere. Um, so yeah, uh, but. If you're going to buy guineas, get by, you know, a dozen or so guineas uh, and then just raise them until they're fully adults before you let them free range. And they'll always, they're very big creatures of habits. If you watch a guinea 
uh, if you like put a GPS tracker on a guinea that has been raised at its coop, it's till it's a full adult. So until it's like 12 weeks old, don't let it out of the dang cage. Um, it will go from point A, it'll follow a predictable track, Z back and forth through the sunflowers, visit the mailman, go next door, yell at the neighbor's cat, come back. I mean, it'll go on the same exact track at the same exact time every single day once they develop a routine. Like, go steal the neighbor's cat food, come back, you know, like, get up on top of the house, yell at the eagle, jump down, spin some time in the shade, play in the bird bath. Like, they have very, very, very set schedules and routines. And the, what makes them so good at, at murdering bugs is that they move in herds. They flocks. You'll see them make, like, a V formation. I'll go online. And go and they put their heads really, really close to the ground and tilt one of their eyes up and look underneath the leaves for any sort of bugs, uh, caterpillars, just absolutely anything. And they're super, super sharp eyes. Uh, I've seen them move through my tomato patch and just pick every tomato hornworm off of all the tomatoes, uh, the things I never even saw. And I'm super careful looking for them. I'm just like, bam! I'm like, oh, man, I got a finger-sized tomato hornworm. Good job, dude. Um, if you do, your, your guineas aren't going to lay eggs where you want them to lay. They are going to go under your porch. They're going to hide as hard as they can. It does, they'll go up in the hayloft to the barn. They're going to go somewhere where, you're, where nobody's going to disturb them, uh, under a brush pile, in the wood pile, somewhere. Are you saying before you know it, you'll just have like more? Yeah, they're just gonna show up with a whole bunch of what are called keats, babies or keats. Oh, yeah, they're called keats. Like a school, yeah, like a whole whole school of keats. Now, if you do ever find guinea eggs, they're actually good to eat. Uh, They're really, really rich, and they're triangle shaped. Interesting. Yeah, they're kind of they're weirdly triangle shaped. They got like a round, like the round Mm -hmm. part of the chicken egg, but the other, like the pointy end of the chicken egg, it goes into a three sided triangle up to a point. So it's like a, it's like if you took a triangle and put a little round bottom on it. But uh, and the first time I found a nest full of chi- uh, of, of uh, guinea eggs is I was moving a brush pile and a guinea flies out from underneath there. And then, I remember that. I remember that. Yeah, and I was like, look at these! This is the coolest looking shit in the entire world. Holy heck! They're really triangle alien eggs. It was just the coolest thing to me. Put them all back, and I'd already disturbed the nest. So mom's. That goes back to this. Guineas are only partially domesticated, so uh, they're gonna they're, they they don't come back. There's uh there's there's two different lines of guineas. There's the standard guineas and there's like the giant guineas. And the giant guineas are only like thirty percent larger, but they are uh, a lot more domesticated. Uh, but they're also a hell of a lot lazier. So if you're gonna use guineas for like patrolling your property. Just buy some, don't buy fancy hide ones or pearl ones or white ones or anything like that. Just buy plain old cheap as you can get guineas because they're going to multiply and your neighbor's going to have guineas. The guy across the road is going to have guineas. Everybody's going to get guineas for everyone. Oh, we're going to be everyone's favorite neighbor. Yeah. <laughs> but they're, <laughs> they're really great, man. They're really, really, they're really fantastic about uh, being watchdogs for your property. Uh, if they find a snake that's too big for them to, they are vicious. They will stomp the stomp normal sized snakes to death. Like if it's about a two or three foot snake, they're going to stomp it to death and then work together to, to shred it up and eat it. 
But if they find a large snake, they will form a circle around it and just go, just raise the dead. Full on, it sounds like you've got fire alarms and klaxons going on outside. Mm, good to know. Perfect. Like, if your guineas are going crazy, hey, you need to go it check out. it out. Yeah. Something's killing your chickens or something's somewhere it's not supposed to be. Or yeah. the cow got out of the pasture and they're just letting everybody know, that ain't right. That's not where it's supposed to be. Uh-uh, something's wrong. Go, go check it out. So guineas are great watchdogs. Let's go on to our next critter, which is an even better watchdog and also used by the United States Air Force, geese. That's right. I've seen that. Yeah, because geese are so good. So humans suck. They go on smoke breaks. They fall asleep. They get bored and play Pokemon Go. They do much stuff. So the, the United States Air Force has used, traditionally, geese as first-line defense watchdogs for a lot of different bases because geese have nothing better to do all day long but eat grass and yell at things. They're uh, cobra chickens, right? (laughs) So uh, geese do super, super great, uh, making a huge amount of noise when anything is wrong. Geese also get into a routine. If you hand-raise your geese, your geese will be absolutely sweethearts. They'll crawl up to you for hugs. They'll follow you around like puppies. And geese live a long time. We're talking 15 to 20 years. Um, And they'll lay eggs and make babies that entire time, which geese eggs are delicious. They're huge. Um, They sell really well. Geese are all in uh, up north. You're going to have about 12 weeks of uh, egg-laying weather for the geese. Down south, geese will lay for about four, about four months, four or five months, uh, and uh, that's going to be about it. Uh, I like to gather the first set of eggs. Like I'll gather eggs every day from the geese by bribing them with snacks to get off of the nest, and uh, then. You know, having one person distract them and the other person not around and grab the eggs. Uh, and Because <laughs> they have cobra chickens. They'll get you. Uh, the only thing that they're ever protective about is their, is their babies. You they bite and they're hard. It hurts. Yeah, it does hurt because they're a grazing animal. Like a sheep. Like a Yeah, they have a very strong beak. But, uh, so there is a breed that's of geese specifically to the south that is still used today. They call them weeder geese w-e-e-d-e-r and uh they're just a random land race mix of mutts that they release into the cotton fields and they eat all of the non-cotton they eat all the new grasses shoots and stuff coming up it's way cheaper than paying people to go out there and remove them or spray them they just move their they have the geese on one side of the field they put some water in the middle and then some feed on the far side of the field and the geese work their way down to the rows Geese are herbivores. They're dedicated herbivores. They're not going to eat a bunch of bugs. They will hit your garden. So you're going to want to make sure that your garden is very well established before you let geese in there. Geese don't like to eat tall-growing, tough plants. They like to eat grasses, shoots, short, leafy plants, uh, newly sprouted plants, things like that. And they hold their little be- beak to the side. They grab a mouthful and they clip it off. They blah, 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 blah. Or they'll just, or if it's small, they'll pull it up, roots and all, and eat it. So uh, 
they do really, really great. They're very, very popular in vineyards nowadays, mm-hmm. uh, in orchards for keeping the grass down. Yeah. Um, they're very hardy. They're so they do super, well super hardy. Yeah. Things like that. They don't require water, like troughs, like ducks would. Um, yeah, so they just need to be able to blow their noses out. Yeah. So they just need like like three inch deep water or so. Yeah. yeah. But this is really interesting that I just read. So um, where was that little blurb? I may have lost it, guys. Okay, carry on. I lost it. So yeah, there's a bunch of different there's a bunch of different breed. Uh, I personally don't like the look of the Chinese geese because to me they look vicious. <laughs> the guys with the big black horns on top of their head. Uh, they look like they would bite the crap out of you, but it turns out they're actually pretty chill. I like the Talese. I like the Pilgrim Geese. Um, I like the Buff Goose. Uh, I like the, the the random mix of leader geese guys. Uh, and there, there's a whole bunch of different breeds of geese. Yeah. Uh, there's the Dulap Geese. There's a bunch of different types. Just pick the breed that you like that's going to work for you. The best ones that are, are recommended for guard duty would be the Tufted Roman, the Saddleback Pomeranian, and the Chinese geese. Yeah, Chinese geese are vicious looking. They are intimidating. And this was pretty cool that I read. This is I found it again. Uh, so geese become excited and noisy if confronted, so we already know that. Um, but they respond by making a hissing sound, and for this reason, making good watchdogs. Uh, the Chinese breed was or had been widely used in purpose, like in wars, like with Romans and and things like that. So that's pretty neat. Like, yeah, I they, never knew that that they were to that extent a, a watchdog or considered a watchdog. That's pretty neat. Yeah, they don't they don't play, man. They, yeah, they take care of your chickens and ducks. They do, and they become very attached to chickens and ducks. Um, now, baby geese are pretty delicate for about three weeks. Yeah. Um, very similar to a duck. I like to take a duckling because your geese are going to come uh, when they come as babies. Uh, oh, they're already going to be about twice the size of a newly hatched chick, like a newly hatched duck. So I like to take a duckling or three that are um, about two weeks old, two and a half weeks old. And put those with the baby geese. And what that does is it shows the geese where the food is, where the water is, how to behave, what do you expect from them, stuff like that. And then uh, they also become friends. It's just like using a chick to teach the, the the turkeys how to eat, where the water is, and everything else like that. Your little baby, your little duck's going to do that same thing for the, for the geese. Works out really well. Geese are great pets. Uh, people people have them as pets. They're very easy to move from place to place. Uh, they're very easy to herd from place to place. Uh, they eat primarily just grasses, hay. If you feed them too much grain concentrates and grains, they get fat. And that's where that, uh, what is that, that, the fatty goose liver thing comes from. What's it called? Foie gras? Yeah is from feeding the geese a lot, a lot of grain and force feeding them it, and they get a big fatty liver. Uh, You don't really want that in your goose. Uh, It's bad for them, and then they get liver flukes and things. Now, one thing you need to watch is that gooses do get parasites. They have a tendency to eat a whole bunch of grass, and that grass is pooped on by other animals, and that grass is has a bunch of snails and slugs and stuff in it, which they do like to eat snails and slugs. Um, so you're gonna have to worm them occasionally, you know, like panicure stuff like that. I think panicure is the one of them that, we, that they they recommend for them. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, just worm them every once in a while. Uh, hit them with antiparasitic every once in a while, 
and you're going to be good to go. I would recommend having a whole bunch of them because they do become aggressive when they are. Um, yeah, you don't need 30 geese. Yeah, and you got to be careful with them, like attacking like delivery service delivery people, you know. Which is hilarious. Like, you don't want to get sued or anything like that, which, you know, people have had a tune of being attacked by animals. Yeah. Um, I don't blame them, but um, watch your geese. Yeah. Yeah, you don't need like thirty geese. No, having definitely. having having five though, they like, had to kill them in flocks because they become aggressive. Yeah, that's which is cool. Yeah, I mean that's kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> we're just gonna teach them how to put like laser beams on their heads. <laughs> <laughs> teach them how to like you know, be, like fire dart guns or like, yeah. throw ninja stars. Probably not. So. Be great. Okay. So what's next on the list? Um, that we're gonna talk about the bonus critter, but uh. So that pretty much that's pretty much it for geese. I mean, I, they do mate for life, you know. So, uh, but and the male, I've seen the males and the females in certain breeds take an equal share as far as like raising babies, uh, like sitting on the nest and stuff. So it doesn't really do you so good to have like one male and five females. But that 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 way wouldn't probably one male to four females probably wouldn't be too bad of a, a ratio. Um, if you were going to look for some eggs and some goslings that you could sell, uh, geese sell for a lot, like baby geese sell for a lot. Uh, so an egg goose egg sell for a ton and that's going to pretty much do it as far as going to cover as far as our regular everyday, um, everybody's going to be able to find them and be regularly available to people. Now we're going to talk about one other bonus critter so bonus critter sound bonus critter bonus critter to make money is gonna be pheasants as you, you can build a, yourself a flight cage just think of it as a really really big like triangle chicken tractor triangle shaped chicken tractor you don't have to it doesn't have to be super fancy but you're gonna raise a you're gonna go for the jumbo pheasants and you're gonna pay about 350 a bird for a babies, don't try to breed them. Not worth it. They're hard as heck to get everything right. It's not worth raising and keeping um, them alive and feeding them all year round to have them lay eggs for one month for you to get the eggs to to raise to hatch the babies. It's not worth it to you. You're gonna just wham bam thank you ma'am and get done with them. Order yourself hundred twenty dollars worth of pheasants. Um, now they are extremely carnivorous. So you, if given the opportunity, if you go with them, like uh, Merritt, I believe, um, or Milliam Game Bird Farm, Merritt Milliam, one of the two. People figured out uh, if they give you the opportunity to have their beaks clipped, clip their beaks. Uh, and all that does is they have, they have a little hot wire, and they take a little beak and they run across the hot wire, and it flattens the end of the beak. And what and please don't and what it does is it uh, keeps it keeps the, them from having that sharp sharp point where they can peck at each other and kill each other because if one of them gets even the tiniest little bleedy spot on it all of them will attack it like velociraptors and just tear it apart and kill it so they need extremely high like the game bird twenty eight to thirty percent grower like the chick feed. Um, also, it wouldn't hurt you to grow some uh, uh, sold black soldier fly larva and uh, just hang a bucket 
in there and let the larva fall out so that they could eat it. And that's really, really simple. It's just take a five-gallon bucket, drill a couple of like uh, quarter-inch holes in the bottom of it, and then throw a bunch of food scraps in it, and then drill a bunch of half-inch holes in the top. And what happens is the flies go in there, they lay eggs, and then uh, they eat all of the food scraps, and they fall out the holes in the bottom as food onto just the ground, and it gives something as extra protein. Any sort of extra protein scraps you can give your, your pheasants at the same time is going to rock and roll. Once those pheasants have then grown up, so a regular pheasant is a three to four pound bird. The jumbos are like seven or, or, or five to seven pound birds, right? So they're they're, they're significantly larger. Uh, those guys are going uh, premium, fifty bucks a pop uh, as as a food item. Uh, so there's some extra money that you can make, and then you're also going to save any of the feathers and sell them for fly tying. Say, save the hackles when you do process them and sell them for people uh, they are going to fl- tie their own flies. So you got a whole bunch of different income streams from those pheasants as well. So that's just kind of your bonus things. You can take 100 and, $120 and $150 worth of pheasants uh, and, you know, turn those into a nice little $2,000 bump at the end of the year. And that's... And that, that, I mean, I know that that was your bonus bird, but one thing that you didn't cover, and I'm pretty surprised you didn't, was the dove. Because dove hunt is really big. Um, mm. People love eating dove. Um, I'm not a big fan of it, but I did learn how to cook it. Um, that's a wild animal. That yeah. That's, would, not the, that's just a domestic bird. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. That'd be... That we can do a, a, a wild foraging or attracting wildlife. Oh yeah, murder. we should do a wild foraging episode. So that'll be um, maybe our next next one. Next one. Yeah, next, next, next one, one is going to be fish. aquaponics yeah. and fish, like okay. like how to grow yeah. like your fish and your crawdads and everything yeah. else. Like on your so everything domesticated, and then we'll talk into the wild foraging. Yeah, and that's a fun one. That'd be yeah. a really fun one. Okay, cool. uh, we didn't do pigeons. Yeah. That's, I mean, we didn't do pigeons. Well, we'll do a special episode directly on like homing pigeons, uh, yes. squab. So, homing pigeons, guys, I went into like a deep rabbit hole this week <laughs> because I had no idea how serious homing pigeon, like that whole homing pigeon game was. Like, literally, like people, like, like there's like the World Cup of racing homing pigeons. You get like a million and, dollars. Like, you can win a million dollars and like, crazy things and i had no idea like there was this whole underground world of homing pigeons and so i was just really interested in it um we actually um did some research learned about it this week you know me and my husband talked about it all week and i was just really intrigued at how this this whole you know how it all works right how the how homing pigeons are pretty much calibrated to like go back home and like you can teach them tricks and they roll. There's different variations of, of homing pigeons. We actually went to a feed store, a local feed store, by the way, support your local feed stores, guys. Um, they're important. Uh, so we went to our uh, local feed store that was really cute here in town and they had uh, homing pigeons and then they had the breeding pigeons. And so I learned the difference between the two and I'm so down. I'm so into having homing pigeons now. It's going to be a thing. So we'll, get into an episode where we're talking about raising homing pigeons, breeding homing pigeons, you know, um, where we, how you exercise your homing pigeons and like what you could do with them. Uh, so it's a lot of cool cool stuff. Yeah. It's a lot of cool stuff. Like I I was really surprised. So I'm, I'm all in. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Pigeons are really, really awesome guys. So we'll talk about that later. So as far as, as far as your regular everyday, uh, critters, that's going to be it. Uh, people are going to be like, well, well, you didn't talk about chuckers. You didn't talk about uh, 
the bob white raising bob white quails, but all those require special permits because they're a wild critter. They require special permits. So maybe uh, we'll also have another episode on like yeah. wild critters and permits that are required. And just you if guys, you wanted to raise them, yeah, to sell to somebody else, they could release Super them on their property. To be aware of, of the restrictions and, and what you can and can't do. So. Now those jumbo pheasants, they do not because they're a domestic pheasant, okay. and they're uh, they do not require a permit. Um, and there's quite a few places that do sell them, uh, and they're delicious to raise primarily as a meat bird. But yeah, you're gonna get a premium of about fifty bucks a bird. Wow, for that's good. Just selling them as a lot, you can sell unless there's ways to sketchily get around it. There's, uh, I'm going to sell you this bird for fifty dollars, and then you're going to uh, pay me a dollar for a class on how to clean this bird. Yeah. Right, and then as long as it doesn't like they 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 come to your class. And they, they participate in the butchering of the birds. And you teach them, you just walk them through it, and they pay the dollar to rent your equipment to process your bird. Then that, that's kind of that's a way that a lot of people get away with it. Yeah. Like uh, doing, because at that point, you're not actually selling a butchered product. You're not selling a meat product. You're selling a class. Yeah. Uh, and they're doing everything themselves. And that's why it's considered, like, still home butchering. You're not, uh, you're not in any trouble that way with the USDA or anybody. Yeah. So that's uh, that's one thing. Now you can't sell them the bird and then travel to their place and butcher it at their place either, and uh, that kind of stuff has to happen at the point of sale. So it has to happen at your your spot using your equipment. Uh, but uh, you know, I'll happily like you want to buy a fifty dollar pheasant from me and pay me a dollar to to show you how to to walk you through it, how to do it. Then uh, perfectly something that probably worked out. The same thing with uh, quail or anything else. So uh, there we go. Let's talk about uh, what you have for your new story of the day, huh? Mm, I have a really feel-good story. I really like this. So up in the Carolinas, uh, North Carolina to be exact, they are starting, you know, there's local um, farm-to-table programs sprouting around near the school, well, you know, getting involved with the school district. So basically they're getting with the nutritional director for the schools and they are working with those individuals are working with local farms um, to source, you know, uh, local vegetation. So fruits, veggies, you know, they plan out their whole uh, yearly lunch menu uh, based on what the farmer can provide. The farmer works really closely with the, with the school uh, nutrition director um, to kind of plan out that menu and make sure that crop, you know, specific crops and and stuff are, are readily available. And I really like that. I really like, again, it creates that sense of community. Um, it shows them, you know, it, it helps the nutrition director get involved and, and see how the food is grown. It's also an opportunity to teach the kids, you know, where food, you know, how to grow your own food and, and maybe perhaps give them a class there on the farm um, and have them, you know, go through a, a planting season or, or something with the farmer, you know, that'd be really cool. Uh, but I like the whole, uh, you know, closed loop mentality. I like the farm to table, more nutrient food, nutritious food, um, just knowing where your food comes from. And then they're also helping the local community. Um, and then also it's cheaper for schools to go that route and purchase crops from local farmers. So all around, really good stuff. I love it. I hope that, you know, more and more schools adopt that concept. And, um, you know, I'm probably going to be an advocate here in uh, South Texas 
to get something like that started. If, if it's not already existing or if it is existing, then I'd be happily, you know, we'd happily get involved in that. Of course, you'd have to have a larger farm too, but be able to supply um, the amount of, of crops and, and stuff that they need for, you know, to fulfill that menu requirements or whatever. But I mean, it's still cool to get involved, guys. So ask questions, you know, get, get with well, your local schools. You don't have to do everything. No, right? you don't have to do everything. Just so like if you're really good at specializing strawberry. Yeah, if you're really good at doing strawberries, guys. Yeah, or tomatoes. He's a strawberry guy. If you're yeah. good at tomatoes, be the tomato guy. That's pretty cool, you yeah. know? So I, I really like that concept. So good stuff there. It was just a feel-good story that I wanted to share. So uh, let's talk about the tree of the day. This is... Uh... Oh, man, I lost it. It's... Uh... <laughs> Okay, let's talk about the plant of the day. <laughs> the plant of the day is going to be the uh, the fifteen hundred year old cave bean. It's going to be a pole bean. It's ninety five to one hundred ten day bean. This amazing native bean was reportedly uh, found in a cave in New Mexico in a clay pot sealed with pitch. When it was carbon dated, the test showed it to be fifteen hundred years old. These are long vines that climb to ten foot and produce tasty pods. Beans are large and kidney-shaped, white with maroon modeling. They're very rare collector's type bean. Uh, one thing about these beans is that uh, you need to soak the beans for 24 hours before you plant them, as they do have a very hard coat. They're kind of a really cool, like, purple and white splotted. They're a very large bean. Uh, they're like a kidney bean-sized bean. Uh, they flower and set heavy when it starts to cool down the days shorten. So up until that point, they're going to just make um, tons and tons and tons and tons and tons of vines. And then it's going to, then all of a sudden they are going to, um, they're going to flower all at once. And that's going to happen once you get uh, the cooler days. And I'm going to look for this, this, this apple real quick again, because I was really taken back by it. And uh, no, I don't know where, where it ran off to. It was, uh, oh, it was, uh, oh, come on, it's almost on the tip of my tongue. Um, Franklin? Franklin C Cider? I think it was what it's called. I know it was a cider apple, but I Yeah, I think know. it's Franklin Cider. Give me a minute. My brain's trying to kick in. Let's see. Let's see if it's the Franklin Cider. It is! The Franklin Cider Apple. All right. And it says it's truly a game changer cider apple. If you enjoy making homemade cider, I love fermenting things. The apple can be the star in a great blend. All the necessary attributes are contained in this one bitter, sharp variety. High in sugar, high in tannins, which creates a dry finish. High in acidity, which gives cider nice tang. This long-lived tree produces up to 30 bushes of apple per year. This makes uh, it, it makes 2.75 gallons of juice per bushel, so that makes a lot. Yeah, you got 90 plus uh, gallons off of one tree. That's that's a good thing. The fruit ripens successfully, uh, successively, so it doesn't ripen all at once. It ripens in, in waves and hangs well on the tree. It shows great resistance to apple scab, cedar rust. Uh, it's a boon for deer hunters. People will, will, will put this in out there on their deer lease as well because uh, it's great for wildlife. Uh, it was a winner in a competition, a bronze medal winner in 2017. It's going to be the likely success for the Queen, uh, Kingston Black. 
This is the gold standard of cider uh, apples. Super cold, hardy, hardy uh, ripens in uh, early to mid October. Um, it is self pollinating, but it does better if you have another apple with it, right? Another different type of apple. You can choose a different cider apple, or you can choose a different, uh, uh, just the same wheat or a crab apple. If you're going to put it on a deer lease, I'd do a crab apple. If I was going to do it uh, in, like, just plant it in my orchard, I'd just plant it in my orchard and let all the other apples all do their thing with it. Other than that, guys, I think uh, we're about done for the day, for the week. Uh, we'd like to say that we uh, love our listeners. Oh, uh, we picked up a bunch of guys from New Zealand. Hey, New Zealand, shout out to you guys. And a bunch of Canadians listening to us as well. Thank you, guys. We love uh, hearing, just seeing the world where everybody's coming from. As usual, we try to say something positive at the end of every episode. And I like to throw my wife under the bus. So what do you got? <laughs> so my recommendation uh, this week is get involved with your local communities, local schools. And if you're a farmer, uh, you know, reach out to them and see if there's something you can work out. Um, I think it's a really neat concept, farm to table for schools, uh, for, for, for children. You know, it covers a lot of things, right? Like health issues that they, they face eating a lot of processed foods and things like that. And this could help them. So um, I really like that concept, guys. So really encourage you to get with your local communities, local uh, schools, and see how you what you could do to help. Yeah. That's a lot nicer than mine. I guess my nice thing was don't eat yellow snow. It's still snowing places. That's crazy. I yeah, can't it's do cold. Snow. Yeah, not happening. I can never <laughs> do snow. Love you guys up north, but just can't do it. I don't know how you do it. You got some grit. Um, yeah. I'm just a big baby. I, I get cold with the air conditioner here at home and my husband, he literally is like a heater. And so he's my heater. Um, so that's how I get by, but I'm really not a cold type person. So I'd say that, uh, if you get a setback, like we had with the possums or, uh, you know, don't, don't take it to heart. It's nature. You're not fighting nature. Circle to... of life. <laughs> oh, it was a, Possum, street possum, yeah, grubby ass street possum. Anyway, uh, yeah, if you don't take it to heart, I mean, grieve your animals or grieve your loss, but then figure out where your shortcoming is and fix that problem. Yeah, but get back up on that horse and and do it right. Uh, we figured out where our shortcoming is with 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 the backyard chicken here, and uh, we have fixed it and replaced the. Chickens with ones that look just like them. Yeah. And she hasn't even exactly. really noticed. She hasn't really noticed. <laughs> I tried breaking it to her that George was no longer here. Um, you know, she was like, is George in the tree? And I'm like, yeah, sure. George is in the tree. And That's so exactly right. For George in the tree. And so that was pretty cute. Um, but yeah. We're so, sad. Yeah. We're and the sad. other recommendation too is like, if you guys want to raise animals, you know, you want to give it a go, like, give it a go. I mean, that, what's, Jump the in worst both feet. Out? what's the worst thing that can happen? Right? You know, you learn some lessons, you do it better the next time, you know, no worries. No if harm, you mess no up foul. too bad. Hey, no harm, no foul. <laughs> Get it? Okay. That was if you mess up too bad, you can always eat them. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. so uh, other than that, guys, uh, we love, we love you guys. We, we go a little long on some episodes, but, you know, you can always skip ahead, rewind, or listen to it over a couple of days. But uh, thank you for listening, and good night.